Hi, friends. How are we doing today? Happy New Year to you. Is there anything you'd like to change about yourself in 2023? I mean, what if this year you could become a patient parent who disciplines with love and wisdom instead of fury followed by guilt? What if you could become a selfless husband who finds joy meeting the needs of your spouse even before she meets yours? What if you could live a life characterized by peace in spite of the pressure, in spite of your financial stability, in spite of your loneliness? What if you could be free from the insecurity that constantly compels you to make the conversation about you? What if you could finally be rid of that bad, ha- that bad attitude that drags the people around you into the doldrums? What if you could be liberated from that habit that's consumed you for years, it's eating you alive on the inside? You've done everything you can think of to kick it, but it's kicking you. What if this year you could live like Jesus lived? Well, today, we begin a three-part series we're calling Revive. We'll examine three practices, which I believe if you implement them consistently over the next year, you will revive your soul and restore your hope. You'll actually begin to live more like Jesus. Over the next three weeks, what we're doing is revisiting the purpose of our church community. Our mission statement uh, is this. We say capital exists to lead people to become Christ-centered disciples. If you had to sum up our community in a word, it'd probably be that word disciple. A disciple is someone who's learning from Jesus how to live his or her life. And we hope to lead people to be Christ-centered disciple. People who put Jesus at the center. The place of preeminence over money and marriage, over kids and career. Now, it's a lot to ask, and we may have a long way to go, but it's our hope, it's our passion, it's our mission. Jesus gave us this mission in Matthew 28, 19. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Friends, I want us to be the kind of community in which men and women and boys and girls can learn from Jesus how to do what he said to do. I'm talking about loving your enemies, turning the other cheek, forgiving people who hurt you, trusting instead of worrying. Jesus said you could sum up his teaching uh, by living according to two commands, love God and love others. We talk a lot about those commands. We'll do so again today. But I'm not going to say you should love God and love others. Today, I'm going to say you can. See, today I want to talk to you about how you and I can become the kind of people who naturally love God and love others. I mean, friends, what if Christ-likeness became your standard operating procedure? So much so, people who know you simply grow to expect it from you. They they, they expect you to respond to crisis with peace. They they anticipate you'll respond to criticism with humility and graciousness. And they think that because they've seen that. They've watched you love God and love others every single day. 
Can you imagine getting to that point? Can you fathom a day when you don't have to work so hard at doing what Jesus asked you to do? What if it were easy? Well, today I want to show you how to make it easier. When we talk about our journey toward becoming Christ-centered disciples, we've identified three words over the years that describe what our journey together will involve. Owning, partnering, investing. Uh, These are what we call our strategic anchors of our organization. And each week of this series, we're going to look at a different word. Today, I want to talk to you about owning. And here's what we mean when we say that. We take responsibility for our personal journey with Jesus. Now, I realize as I stand before you, whether you're here in person or you're watching this online, I know we're all in different, all different places on this spiritual journey. But, but understand, how close you follow Jesus is up to you. You're probably working to make money. You're probably working to stay healthy. But what are you doing to grow closer to Jesus? What are you doing to increase your love of God and your love of others? Not long ago, I met a college student after one of our weekend gatherings. She's a student at the university from another state. And I'll tell you, this young lady had a vibrancy about her. I saw pure joy as she talked about her experience in our community. I was curious about her life, so I asked about her faith background. She said, actually, Troy, I don't have one. She said, my family never went to church, but I'm determined to find God while I'm in college. Who says that? Nobody tries to find God in college. Everybody's trying to hide from him. I had to poke her to make sure she was real. And she was real. And I knew she'd be just fine. Because I know the promise God makes throughout the Bible. We read it a few months ago. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Look, I know you're busy and you're busy doing important things. But I want to add one thing to your to-do list this morning. I know it may be too much to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway because really it's Jesus doing the asking. And I think he has some, something worth hearing. See, I'm going to encourage you to own your faith. I'm going to challenge you to take responsibility for your spiritual journey by doing something every day that connects you to Jesus. Let's take a moment before we begin. Invite God to speak to us. Lord, may you make yourself very real to us today. I pray first for those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. I pray in our time together, we wouldn't find just another thing to add to our ever-growing to-do list. Now, Lord, I pray we find life, abundant life. May you open our eyes to see the hope that you're handing us for the year ahead. Lord, I pray also for those here who may not know you, but they're curious. I pray for those who are asking questions, who are wondering if there's anything to a life of faith. Lord, may you help them to find enough faith today to put your words into practice and watch what happens. 
May you prove yourself faithful and wise to them as you have to so many of us. We pray this in the name of King Jesus who came that we might live. Amen. Tonight, today, I'd like to begin our time together by doing a little exercise with you that I learned from Mindy Caliguire. I need your help. See, I want to ask you a question and I want you to shout out your responses, okay? Because I'm going to make a list over here. Now, I did this exercise in another sermon several years ago. But as we talked about this message this week, we determined we should do it again to jog our individual and collective memories. See, first, I want to talk to you about the symptoms of spiritual disconnection, okay? Or the symptoms of soul neglect. And I want you to think of a season when you were spiritually stuck or stalled. Okay? Think of a season in which you felt disconnected from God. What were you like as a person? D- d- describe your, your state of heart and mind. How did you feel? What flowed from you? Now, here, I'm looking for adjectives. So, we're going to write these down. Okay? Spiritual disconnection. You ready? Hit me. What do we got? Okay, okay. Let's slow down a little bit. Yeah, I do. Depressed. I heard hopeless. You guys are good, by the way. Fearful. Hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. Let me get some of these down. Arrogant. Oh, my word. Isolated. Lonely. You guys are really good at this, by the way. Enraged. Anxious, judgmental. I I I like that word, judgmental. And by that, I don't mean I like the word judgmental. But I this is a, a common thing. What what I hear? Lost. Entitled. Confused. Broken. Impatient. You, you know, I'm starting to get a little concerned that we're too good at this. <laughs> Inferior. No, but this is okay. Now look at these words here. Depressed, hopeless, arrogant, isolated, lonely, judgmental, entitled, confused, impatient, inferior. I want to ask you a second question. And for this question, um, I really do want you to think autobiographically. Really get into your heart. Look at your past. Think of a time when you felt your connection with God was strong. Okay? Now, it might be right now. Or you may have to look back a little while. Maybe it was a time when you felt God especially near you. You sensed his strength. You felt his, his, his presence. In that season of life, what flowed out of you? What kind of person were you? Okay, I'm going to grab some of these. I don't have a prayer of grabbing all these. I'm going to say peaceful. I'm going to say hopeful. 
I'm going to say patient. Vulnerable. Vulnerable, and I know you mean that in a good way. The guard is down. The shields are down. Oh, grateful. I heard free. Loving. Empathetic. Okay, I'm going to, I like encouraged. I got hopeful. Now, come on. This isn't a good sign, people. We got more on this side than that side. Compassionate. I heard content. You know, this is a, that content is a conversation. That's a word that I had a conversation with God about yesterday. You know? What was this? Expectant. Joyful. Okay, I'm going to add one to this list. Can I do one more? Creative. That's good for now. How do you feel when you're at your best, right? I'll tell you for me, when I'm connected to God, there's a pervasive sense of joy in spite of my circumstances. When something snaps loose, hope springs up within me asking, what's God up to? How's God going to use this? When I'm connected to God, I laugh more. I'm more fully present with family, friends. I trust there's enough time in each day to do everything I really need to do. When I'm connected to God, I find myself praying for people who would normally exasperate me. I I empathize. Of course, I don't excuse their behavior, but when I'm connected to God, I'm enabled to offer grace and truth in a way annoyance would never allow when, when I'm connected to God, I, I am more creative. I dream bigger dreams. I pray bigger prayers. Now let me ask you a question. Which of these lists would you rather live? In the words of the great philosopher Tina Fey, I want to go to there. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Uh, Other translations use an older word to describe it. The New American Standard Bible reads, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I like the sound of that. Abundant life. All of us would love to live a satisfying, fulfilling life. And Jesus came to show, show us what it means to truly live it. I mean, in many ways, that word could be used to describe this list, couldn't it? Now, if that's what we're going to call this list, what are we going to call this one? How about just abundant death? Because that's what it feels like. How do I do? 
shouldn't have done that because that's going to be behind me on a camera the whole time I speak. Yeah, yeah, by the way, it just so happens that the artist who works for me happens to be running that camera that just did that, whatever he did. I, um, yeah, thanks. I, how often can we claim this life for ourselves? I mean, how often is this list number two true of you? Can you imagine the worldwide impact of disciples of Jesus actually lived that list? Really, friends, people would swarm to our local churches. They, they, they flock to see how we do it. Now, according to the plain reading of John 10, 10, followers of Jesus should experience life in a way that others do not. But you mind if I register a complaint? The problem I see is there's little difference between churched people and unchurched people. The average church attendee is just as fussy and frustrated as the guy down the street. But then when I look at the New Testament, I read the words of Jesus, the words of Paul. They say that kind of life is possible. In fact, it's normal. So what are we missing? Compare where you are today with where you were six months ago or a year ago. Are you loving God and loving more uh, and loving others more today than you were last January? Have you grown or are you still struggling with the same problems, the same thoughts, the same frustrations, the same sin? Almost every week of my life, I reflect on a particular morsel of wisdom from Dallas Willard. One day a friend asked Willard this question. Dallas, how do you monitor the condition of your soul? Now, when someone like Dallas Willard answers a question like that, you'd better be listening. Dallas, how do you monitor the condition of your soul? He immediately responded, I regularly ask myself two questions. Am I growing more or less irritated these days? Am I growing more or less discouraged these days? By those standards, let me ask you again. How you doing? Well, what's the condition of your soul? Now, the reason Dallas asked himself those questions is that Dallas understood the biblical principle. What's in you comes out of you and sloshes onto everyone around you. So what's in you? Let's look at a passage in Luke 6, verse 43. Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The analogy is simple. If you climb a peach tree, you won't find rutabagas. He explains his metaphor in verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. His meaning is clear. What's in you comes out of you. So what's in you? Maybe you have a friend who surprises you with her consistent kindness. She's so considerate. She's so patient. She's always smiling, always laughing, always loving. I mean, you know these people. They're like living, breathing Girl Scout cookies. They, they, they seem to embody everything that's right with the world. And when you see them, you wonder, 
wow, what's going on inside them? That's a good question. It's the right question. Then you take stock of your words and your deeds. You see your angry outbursts. You see the self-centered choices. You hear the jaded resentment in your responses to people. You catch yourself constantly complaining about slow traffic, slow food, fast food, cold food, hot food. Now, if you ask, what's going on inside me? Jesus says, you're asking the right question. Verse 45, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Did you read that carefully? Is anybody as uncomfortable as I am? When you do something regrettable, when you fudge on an expense report, when you lose it on your kids, everything in you protests. But that's not the real me. Are you sure? Of course, it's not the sum total of who you are. And it surely doesn't say everything that needs to be said about you. Remember what we talked about on Christmas Eve. You are an irreplaceable individual with immeasurable value to God. Yes. But according to Jesus, that outburst says something about you. What does it say? See, friends, Jesus wants you to take your soul seriously. There's an old expression. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Or as I said a moment ago, what's in you slushes out of you when people bump into you. So what's in you? Is it love, joy, peace, and patience? Or loathing, frustration, anger, and irritation? Friends, we got to do something about what's in us. But spiritually speaking, we're more apt to fret about the fruit than tend the tree. Perhaps we have something we want to change. Maybe you need an attitude adjustment about your job. Maybe you need more patience with your husband. Maybe you need to stop worrying. Now, if there's something you need to change and you want to see lasting change, where should you start? Should you start inside or outside? Inside. But where do most of us concentrate our efforts to change? Many Christians make a life of penning peaches to thorn bushes and we wonder why our faith is floundering. How many of us attach fake fruit to sick trees? Oh, it's so shiny. It's so colorful. Until someone takes a bite out of it. See, when you opt simply to manage your behavior, you are settling for a shallow superficial holiness that will not last. The moment you let your guard down, you will fail. Let's return to the words of Jesus. He says, no tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. What's in you comes out of you. But what if you grew the kind of tree that naturally produced healthy fruit? What do I mean? I mean, it would be natural for you to use loving words if you actually loved the people you were talking to. True change starts within. You tend the tree, you get the fruit. My friends, God desires to reach deep into our souls to transform us from the inside out in this season. 
He doesn't want to wait for the future. He doesn't want to wait until you're married and have two kids and a pet chinchilla. He doesn't want to wait for you to get retired. No, God desires to reach down into your soul to transform you from the inside out today. He won't be satisfied with you maintaining your patience with exasperating people. That doesn't go deep enough for God. God wants you to love those exasperating people the way he loves them. But you and I, we've been settling for fake fruit. So what do we do? In John 15, Jesus uses a similar metaphor to teach about this dynamic. We, we saw it a couple years ago in, in our study of the Gospel of John. Verse 4 of John 15 He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, on the metaphorical level, the analogy is obvious. How does a branch produce fruit? By remaining attached to the vine. The the vine provides the nutrients to produce the fruit. A branch separated from the vine withers and dies. Simple. Now, you can hot glue a grape to a vine, but, but, but it'll shrivel like a raisin then rot because it's detached from the source. In practical terms, Jesus says, if we stay connected with him, the fruit will take care of itself. Think about it. You've seen this in your own life. You just told me. Do you remember the difference between the first list and the second list? The difference was your connection to Jesus. That's why I'm pleading with you in this season. Do something. Do something every day that connects you to him. He continues, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, no wonder we get so frustrated with our failed attempts to be holy and happy. If you want to bear fruit, Mere willpower is not the answer. Staying connected to the vine is the answer. Paul borrows the metaphor in his letter to the Galatian church. In Galatians 5, verse 22, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And note, these aren't the fruit of hard work and sheer discipline. They are the natural result of life in the Spirit. Now, let me show you how this works in a diagram, okay? On the left, this is you. On the right, this is abundant life, that abundant life you desperately want. It's the fruit. It's love, joy, peace, and patience, right? Now, our logic tells us the best way to get there is by pure effort. So we try to be happy. We try to be holy. But that's actually not logical from God's perspective. Any more than it's logical for a little branch to separate itself from a vine in hopes of producing juicy grapes. No, see, it's essential that you and I factor in Jesus. He's the vine. He's the source. So, we do things that bring us closer to him. He, in his grace, transforms us into the people he's called us to be he ushers us right into that abundant life right now no sense in waiting for heaven when you could live that life today now perhaps you've been struggling because underneath you're seething with anger you can't stop lusting 
You, you can't stop worrying about your finances or, or finding love. And now you've tried to live life abundantly and it ain't working. Well, Jesus told you so. But there is something you can do. You can do things that bring you closer to him. What are those things? We usually call them spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. There's one definition for them. Spiritual disciplines are activities in our everyday lives that bring us closer to God who empowers us to love him and love others more. Now, there there are thousands of different spiritual disciplines you could put into your life. Examples include prayer, reading the Bible, worship, reading a challenging book, connecting meaningfully with the spiritual friend. Go on and on and on. Now, the disciplines are not the only way we grow. Sometimes we grow uh, through suffering. That's the pruning that Jesus talked about a little earlier in John 15. I don't like that kind of growth. But if you want to grow great faith, it's as necessary as oxygen and water. We grow through suffering. Sometimes we grow through what I'll call divine encounters. (laughs) I'm talking about supernatural interventions from God that have nothing to do with anything we've said or done. Those are incredible experiences, and I wish I had more of them. But I wouldn't recommend, recommend sitting around waiting for God to zap you before you grow closer to Christ. See, he's given us the disciplines as ways we can respond to him. The, the, there, those are ways we can seek him with all our hearts. Now, I want to be clear. Spiritual disciplines do not measure your spiritual condition. Your level of spirituality is not determined by how many hours you clock in prayer each week. No, the true indicator of your spirituality is your love of God and your love of others. There's no earning here, people. We don't practice the disciplines to make God happy. They're not for God, they're for us. We practice spiritual disciplines to bring us closer to Him. They're a means to an end. Spiritual disciplines are how we work out our salvation. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, we work out our salvation for it's God working in us. It's a paradox with a powerful point. When it comes to spiritual growth, we have a part, God has a part, but God's part's bigger. The the way, we can't see this in English, but the way Paul structures the sentence in Greek puts emphasis on that phrase, it is God. That means the work within us is first and foremost a work of God. This this doesn't mean that, that God does all the work while we sit around and stare at a wall. It means that he provides the energy. It means he empowers us to work it out. And the work that God wants to do in us runs deep, far deeper than appearances. This work of God won't simply change the way you behave. Look back at the verse. He says, God works in you to both will and act according to his good purpose. He'll change the way you think. He'll transform your desires. Friends, imagine sin not even being desirable or attractive. But not because God makes you boring, dispassionate, or devoid of fun. It's because he shows you something better. When when it comes to working out your salvation, it's not about working harder. It's about growing closer. We do things that bring us closer to God. He works in us to shape us and mold us. Now, that work he does, that's called grace. Look back at the diagram. 
You see, I labeled God's action with the word grace. And my dear friend, you probably need more grace than you think. Too many followers of Jesus limit the role of grace to forgiveness of sins. And with that understanding, grace is something Christians only need once or once in a while. Sure, grace includes forgiveness of sins, but grace is a heck of a lot bigger than that. By God's grace, we're forgiven, and by God's grace, we're loved. But by God's grace, we're empowered to love him back. And by God's grace, we're empowered to love each other. A lot of us have a tiny little shrinky grace that we carry around in our pockets in case we sin. But God's grace is greater than that. Dallas offered my favorite definition of the word. He said, grace is God acting in your life to accomplish what you cannot. Now, look at all the things that grace does. We could see it, just even a cursory glance at at passages in the New Testament. In a letter to to a leader named Titus, Paul writes in Titus verse 11 of chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, meaning grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. See, grace doesn't simply forgive. It teaches us how to live. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12, Paul admits, we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Grace can help you hold your tongue. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace enables us to serve one another. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Grace gives us permission to pray big, bold prayers. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And grace gives us strength when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to. That, that happened to Paul. And the Lord said to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My friend, has God ever stopped you from doing something really dumb? That's his grace. Have you ever come to church or called a friend and you heard just the right thing at just the right moment and you knew it was God giving you, getting your attention or giving you courage? Huh? That's his grace. His grace brought you. His grace kept you. That's God's grace. Do you need his grace today? Do you need his grace to do more than just forgive you? Do you need his grace to teach you to forgive? Do you need his grace to teach you to say no? Do you need his grace to, to, to watch your mouth? Do you need his grace to refresh your soul in a weary season? The apostle Peter tells us we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can grow in it. Some may protest. Isn't grace by definition unearned favor? Again, we'll look to Willard's wisdom. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. See? Apparently, we participate with God in the receiving of that grace. We find a way to be strong in it and grow in it. And the way we grow in grace is by doing things that bring us closer to Jesus. John Wesley called these spiritual practices the means of grace. Spiritual practices don't make you more spiritual. 
They bring you into God's presence so he can make you more spiritual. That's why I'm encouraging you at the start of this year, do something and do it every day. Do something that connects you to God, to his grace. Now it's true. We can't change our own souls. But, but spiritual disciplines are perfectly within our capability. That's not to say God isn't present, helping us draw near to him. Frankly, God's grace runs through the process from beginning to end. But, but the point I'm making is this. There is nothing stopping you from doing things that bring you closer to Jesus today. Well, I can think of one thing. It might be your lack of faith. Is it really worth my time? Is it really worth my effort? Maybe you gave up because you got distracted. Maybe you gave up because you weren't getting immediate results. Now hear me, no one promised immediate results. You don't dig up a garden in frustration a day or two after you plant seeds, do you? You wait, you watch, you tend. The sad truth is, instead of doing things that bring us closer to Jesus, we do things that pull us farther from him. Now, all in an attempt to obtain the good life, the abundant life, some of those actions are obviously bad things. We, we leverage anger and manipulation to get our way. We, we look to elicit sex and drugs to, to find fulfillment. And some of those actions are not so obviously bad things. Those behaviors might include prayerless striving for success, religion without relationship. Hey, it might be a person. We might be trying to find abundant life in a relationship, choosing love from a person who's never really going to point you to God. And these things all do the same thing. Instead of leading us toward God and toward life, they lead us somewhere else. But friends, it doesn't have to be that way. You, you can do something every day that connects you to Jesus. You can do things that draw you closer to him. One of the greatest mistakes made by contemporary disciples is the assumption that God has done all that he's going to do in me. So we settle for just enough grace to get us into the cool place instead of the hot place when we die. And, and we buy in our time holding out until Jesus comes or we leave. Now friend, if that's you, don't give up on the possibility that God might continue his work in you today. Maybe it's time for you to, you to look for a new way to connect to him in this season. God doesn't simply intend for you to be saved by his grace. He wants you to live by his grace too. You may be leaning on his grace for redemption. How about for living? Do you lean on his grace to help you find patience with irritating people? <laughs> Do you lean on his grace to help you zip your lip so you'll stop hurting friends and family with your sharp tongue? Oh, my friends, as you get closer to Jesus, you will catch yourself being patient and gentle with fussy kids, frustrating coworkers, and demanding clients. As you get closer to Jesus, you will find yourself not always needing to have your own way. <laughs> wow. So you don't get upset when somebody wrongs you. You, you don't have to power up like you used to. As you get closer to Jesus, self-control will become second nature. You won't be mastered by anything, whether food or drink or hobby or habit. Now imagine the freedom of actually being able to choose love in a moment of frustration. When someone bites, you don't have to buy back anymore. 
Imagine being free from fury. Imagine dealing with the difficulties of the day without aggression or enmity. Imagine confronting annoying trivialities and massive crises with patience and gentleness and kindness. Imagine being able to finally lay down those well-used weapons of sarcasm and derision derision picture your employees responding to your candor with gratitude and humility because your words are without wrath picture your kids melting into your arms when you discipline instead of running for their lives is anybody interested in that kind of life here's the key you have to learn from the master you have to learn from jesus that's what being a disciple is all about Dallas said it this way. If I am to be someone's apprentice or disciple, there's one absolute, absolutely essential condition. He said, I must be with that person. See, it's not enough to learn about Jesus. Scholars have studied his life without receiving his life. You can learn a lot about me by hearing my sermons and reading books about me. There are no books about me. You learn a lot about me, but if you really want to be my apprentice, you have to do life with me. Now, of course, we can't be with Jesus the same way Peter and John were with Jesus. But that's why we use the disciplines. And the last part of the last verse of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this in Matthew 28, verse 20, and and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Though he ascended into heaven, he said he would be with his disciples at all times. How can we be with him? Spiritual disciplines. That's why I'm pleading with you to do something every day that connects you to Jesus. Hear me, friends. There's nothing better you could do with your time and energy. So think about this. Think about your discipleship like you would any serious endeavor in your life. You gotta own your journey of faith. And when I say own it, I don't mean you're on your own. (laughs) No, Jesus will be right there with you, never leaving you, but but, but calling you closer. That's his grace at work. But, But remember, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. So get intentional about connecting to God every day. If you were serious about getting in shape, you'd put yourself on a diet. You you might throw away the peppermint bark you got from your neighbor at Christmas. Maybe maybe you'd get a gym membership. Maybe maybe you'd get a personal trainer. Maybe you'd get an accountability partner. Maybe you'd buy a few cookbooks. I don't know. There's not one right way to get healthy. But if you're serious about it, you'd probably put a plan in place, wouldn't you? I went on a diet after the first of the year. So far, I have lost, as of today, 6.1 pounds. Yeah, isn't that great? Keep telling me that because I hate every second of it. Really? Diet is the worst four-letter word in the English language. But how often do I remind you sometimes we need to do things we don't feel like doing so that we can feel different or look different? You're not always going to feel like connecting to Jesus. But I'm going to challenge you to get intentional. Put a discipleship plan together. 
Maybe you need to put it in your planner. If needed, rearrange your, your, your calendar to carve out a little time for solitude. G- grab a friend or two and brainstorm ways you can bring discipleship to bear in the key areas of your life. Fr- friendship, dating, marriage, parenting. Consider your job as a primary place Jesus wants to disciple you. After all, it's where you probably spend the majority of your working hours, right? Your waking hours. So how can discipleship training spill over into your career? Consider how your interactions with coworkers could be an opportunity for you to be like Jesus as you show patience, as you show prayerfulness. What if every every dealing with clients and colleagues could become opportunities for you to pray for them without them ever knowing it? Do something. Just do something every day that connects you to Jesus. Now, some of you may not need to do something. You need to do some things, as in more than one thing. Great. Some of you need to do something different because what you've been doing isn't connecting you to the life of God like it did. Now, my friend, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means about you? Brace yourself. You're human. People change. Circumstances change. So our practices probably need to change with it. What do you need to do in this season? I don't know. Maybe some trial and error will help. Because what works for you won't work for me and vice versa. But whatever you do, you have to begin with the end in mind. What's our goal? Your goal is not to memorize the book of Habakkuk in Hebrew. Your goal is to become the kind of man or woman who naturally loves God and loves others. Now hear me. If memorizing the book of Habakkuk in Hebrew gets you there, then by all means, memorize the book of Habakkuk in Hebrew. If not, by all means, do something else. I really want you to think about this. But don't overthink it. Just do something. Okay? Dumb it down. Do something. Okay? And see what he does in your heart and in your life. See how he transforms you from the inside out so you can actually live like he called you to live. And you could spread this like the most holy, infectious virus to the world around you. Pray with me. Lord, I pray for you, my friends, as they consider their own spiritual journeys. By your grace, may you inspire them to chase after you with all their hearts, Help them to identify simple, practical disciplines they can put in their everyday lives so they might know you more and that you might work in them and through them in powerful ways. I pray this is a year that makes a difference for all of us, where everyone in this room, everyone watching this online, really does change, becoming more loving. I pray it in the name of our King. Amen. Let me give you some homework for the week. Here's your first assignment. Do something to connect to Jesus every day this week. Look, I wasn't kidding when I said every day. It, it matters that much. Ralph Winter said, nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. So do something to connect to Jesus every day this week. Okay? And look, it doesn't have to be big. 
You don't have to carve out three hours to pray tomorrow. Good night. No, start small. Just be intentional. Find a way to connect to God. If you don't have any ideas of how to do that, ask someone what they're doing to connect to Jesus. Hmm? Maybe there's somebody around you, you have a spiritual friend or somebody at church, just walk up to somebody if you don't know anybody. Maybe we could talk to you about it. I'm happy to talk to you myself. Ask someone what they're doing to connect to Jesus in this season. And if what they're doing doesn't seem like it would work for you, ask someone what they've done to connect to Jesus. Because maybe something from the past. You know, some people are so far along in their journey with Jesus that they are literally memorizing Habakkuk in Hebrew. And it works for them. Great. That ain't me. Okay? I, I have a friend who, who I'm in school with right now. And she lives in California. And she's what's called an ultra runner. You know what an ultra runner is? It's ridiculous. That's what that is. Okay? And, you know, she's, she's a true athlete. And, you know, the other day, she, she was getting ready to go on a run. She lives in California, like I said. So she texts me. She, she, I took her and her husband to my favorite restaurant in California called Snooze. Right? The pancakes and all the things I can't eat right now. And, and she says, Troy, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing an ultra marathon whatnot. I don't know what she calls it. And, but afterward, we're going to go to Snooze. So what's my order today? And so I told her, okay, this is what I want you to order and this and that and this and that. And she sends me a, 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 a photo back of her food and makes me angry or hangry. And, and it's all great. But here's the deal with Janetta and running. If I wanted to become like Janetta, I probably just shouldn't go out and try. I'll, just, I'll run with you on the next race, Janetta. That ain't going to work, is it? No, but maybe I need to start a little earlier and say, hey, what did you do, Janetta? How'd you get to the place that you got? Right? Find out what people have done at all different places in the spiritual journey. Find something that works for you. And yes, it's going to take trial and error. Are you kidding me? Of course it will. I remember, and this is for everybody. This is for everybody. No matter how old you are, how young you are. When I was in sixth grade, I had a spiritual mentor. Uh, he, he said, he gave me some advice of how I could connect to God every day. He said, Troy... Uh, just take a book of the Bible. Um, and you know how, like if, you, if you've ever read the Bible, if you're familiar with it, uh, modern translations like the New International Version, which is what I usually use, um, they're, they're, the chapters are broken down into subheadings. And so there are little chunks within chapters, right? Now those subheadings in big bold print, those aren't in the Bible, but editors have come along and said, hey, this is a helpful way to organize this so we can read it a little easier, right? So, so my spiritual mentor pulled me aside and he said, hey, Here's what I've been doing lately. He said, take the book of Acts. And every day, take just one of those chunks of, of a chapter. Ask God to speak to you through it. Read the chapter and then just write down what God's saying to you. Well, sixth grade Troy did that and it changed my life forever. And if sixth grade Troy can do it, you can do it for goodness sakes. You see what I'm saying? You'll never regret it finding little ways to connect to God so he can transform you. So he can make you more joyful and more peaceful, okay? Uh, go to the YouVersion app. A lot of you have this app on your phone. If you don't, you should. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing. We, we're glued 
to these things all day anyway, we, we might as well use them as tools for spiritual formation when we're not crushing candy or crafting minds, okay? So, so our, our, our friends at Life Church have developed reading plans, devotionals, topical studies, videos, so much content on this app to just get us connected to Jesus. I'm going to encourage you to peruse that version app, see what jumps out to you. Okay, and better still, do it with a spiritual friend. Pick a plan and do it with a friend. More on that next week. Here's a book for the week. It's called Soul Keeping by John Ortbury. He wrote it several years ago, and I've recommended it before. But I want to, I, I want to encourage you to revisit it if you haven't read it. Uh, this is actually a book that I reread about once a year. Honestly, just remind me of these wonderful principles of how to tend to our souls in whatever season. Uh, three or four weeks ago, I, I recommended some of John Ortberg's videos. Um, he, uh, on YouTube, he posts um, what, what he calls Become New videos. And they're just like 10-minute videos. He produces one about every weekday um, that'll just connect you to Jesus. And a lot of you, I'm hearing more and more and more of you are doing this. And, and you're just, it's just a simple way. You carve out 10 or 12 minutes and you connect to the Lord by listening to a wise, a wise person who's been to hell and back with Jesus who can coach you and point you in the right direction, okay? In fact, on Monday, John begins a new series called Habit. And he's going to talk about the habits that, that we can put into our life to grow closer to Jesus. Is anybody interested in that? It's on YouTube. Look for John Ortberg's Become New Videos, okay? Stand with me. Here's a verse for the week. John 15, verse 5. I read it earlier, so I won't read it now. But the image on your screen will be available for you to download. Why do we put these tools in your hands? Why do we we put these verses to, to graphic? It's so you can put them in your life. Put it on your phone. Put it on your wall. Do something like that to to inculcate these beautiful truths in, in, in your everyday life. Sorry for saying inculcate. Really, it's ridiculous. Uh, The image on your screen and the graphic that follows will be available for you to download from uh, our website, so be watching for them. If you'd like to receive prayer, we'll have some people waiting here at the front to pray for you, or if you're watching online or or, or throughout the week, you can always email us, care at capitalchurch.com, to to let us know how we can pray for you this week, okay? I'll keep my, my benediction simple today, friends. May you do something every day to connect yourself to King Jesus so he might transform you from within and you might experience the abundant life he promised. Thanks for coming today. Grace and peace.